we Americans are by and large too concerned about the physical world. We worry all the time about ourselves, our possessions. We want to impress other people. We want to look good. We want to look the part. And we will put on the facade, put on the mask, do whatever we need to do in order for other people to be impressed by our physical presence, by our body, and by who we are and what we do. We are way too concerned about our physical bodies and how we look. We spend a lot of time, a lot of money, trying to improve our appearance and our physical health. Perhaps you heard the news report this week of how many billions of dollars being spent on cosmetic surgeries and all the other products that people buy in order to make themselves look better than they actually are. Uh, Rodney Buchanan did an interesting thing. He said, I went online and I checked to see what all I could do just by things I could buy, products I could get in order to improve my appearance. He said, I can get rid of a flabby stomach with the ab doer, the ab rages, or the ab roller, or the ab swing. I can get into shape by buying a total gym, the firm body sculpting system, or the bun and thigh rocker. I could buy step aerobics. I could buy Tybo videos. I can grow all my hair back. I can regain my youth, and I can enhance my physical appearance in countless ways. And then he commented, isn't interesting how preoccupied we are with our bodies and give so a little attention to our soul and our spirit. In our society, he said you could do very well by having a body by Solaflex and a mind by Mattel. Now think about that for a minute. You could do really well to have a body by Solaflex and a mind by Mattel. I like that. As long as we look good on the outside, it doesn't matter what we're like on the inside. God's economy, God's way of looking at things are just the opposite of that, aren't they? God cares more about what's going on inside us, inside our hearts, inside our souls, than he does about the body. And so, for the next several weeks, we're going to be trying to experience God at a deeper level than maybe we've ever experienced God before. And we'll do that by learning some of the spiritual disciplines that mature believers have found to be true in their lives for centuries now. As they wanted to draw close to God, how did they do that? What did they do? What position did they put them in? What attitude? What frame of mind? What things would they actually do day after day if they wanted to experience God at a deeper level? And we're going to think about the things then that we need to do in order to grow closer to God and to develop the inner life rather than just try to look good for someone else. Now, I recommend two classic books if you're not already familiar with them and don't have them. One of them uh, that helps with spiritual disciplines is a book by Richard Foster. It's called The Celebration of Discipline, The Path to Spiritual Growth. The other one is a book by Dallas Willard, The Spirit of the Disciplines, Understanding How God Changes Lives. Now, we're going to be looking at these different disciplines from the Word of God. And we're going to try to see how we could experience God at a deeper level. And today we want to talk about silence or solitude. It's actually called both things. And Prosper has already introduced that theme in our communion today as we thought about coming silent before God. And he shared with us a verse from Psalm 46.10 that is very important. Also in our video, be still and know that I am God. What are the benefits of silence? How do we achieve solitude? 
These are things that we may know very little uh, about. And, and in our world, we constantly have a lot of activity, a lot of noise going on, a lot of clutter, a lot of distractions. Something is blaring in our ears almost all the time. And if it's not from an outside source, then we're putting on headphones or earbuds or we're, we're uh, ramping up the volume in our car stereo. And sometimes the music is so loud you can't avoid it. And that's not your car, that's the guy behind you. It's just thumping and, and rocking the whole neighborhood. There is a saying, silence is golden. I wonder how many of us really believe it. This silence is golden. Sometimes we avoid the silence. Sometimes it is a kind of a fearful thing for things to get dead quiet. And I, oh, what's up? What's happening? There's no movement. There's no noise. And we're uncomfortable with that. Some of us can't be home alone without having the TV going. You know, we've got to have some company. It's a TV, after all. Or we have the radio playing. And, and the silence is something that we kind of fear. Why is that? What would we be afraid of in the silence? Are we afraid of our own thoughts? Are we afraid of the darkness of our minds, you know, where that may go? Are we afraid of, of having to deal face-to-face -face with some of the issues of our life that we can put off? As long as the distractions, as long as the noise are there, we don't have to think about these things. But in the silence, something else happens, and thoughts can come to mind that were not there before. There is a great benefit to silence. So what is it? Silence or solitude is merely setting aside all of our normal activities, nor of our normal thoughts, so that we can focus on God. So that we can meet God in that silence and He can speak to us as we speak to Him. Noise and busyness are distractions that have to be deliberately avoided. Otherwise, they'll be there all the time. Our minds and hearts are often overstimulated. Too much going on, and we can't even process it. And the world is only going to get more and more that way. So we must be deliberate in choosing silence over noise. And we need to get in touch with God. We need to get in touch with His truth. We need to get in touch with reality. Not what the world says reality, but what God is speaking. and What is God is showing us. We need to find out who we are and how we are supposed to be living. And the only way to do that is to know God better. And the only way to know God better is to get silent before Him. Because as Prosper very eloquently said, God speaks in the silence. God works in the silence. When the rest of all the distractions of life are put to the side. Psalm 46.10, Be still and know that I am God. I want you to have that verse in your mind. I want you to be thinking, if I want to know God, then I need to be still. We will never grow until we make time for God and have quiet time for ourselves before Him to listen, to truly listen. Now, a lot of us are content to live a shallow life, even as Christians. You know, just want to go only so deep. It's more comfortable just to be in the shallow end of the pool because in the deep end, I may drown. But if I just wait around here where I can touch the bottom and nothing's threatening me, it's much more comfortable that way. And so we kind of live even for months or years in the shallow end of the pool. Too many Christians live a shadow life, just a shadow of what they could really experience in God. They're kind of watching God, looking for God from the shadows, rather than stepping out into the full light of His truth and of His gospel. A light that also shows up 
some of the frailties, some of the mistakes, some of the bad thoughts of our lives, so that as we step into the light, those must be dealt with. But as Christians, if we want more than a shallow or a shadow life, we must learn to go into the world of silence and solitude before God. We must learn to meet God, to spend time with God on our own. Have you learned that yet? You know, Jesus went off by himself often to be alone with God. Here's the Son of God. He's on earth. He's doing God's work. He's perfect in every way. And every day he still feels it's important that he would rise early and he would get with God. It says in Mark 1.35 that very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place, and he prayed. The Gospels show that this was his regular routine. In fact, Luke 5.16 says he often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. This was his habit. This was his routine. Jesus sought silence and solitude before he chose his twelve disciples. He went to be with God alone when he received news of his cousin John the Baptist's death. He went to be alone after he fed the five thousand in a miraculous way. And just before his transfiguration, he was alone with God, preparing for event after event. And again, before his arrest, trial, and crucifixion, we know what he did. He went to the garden, and he prayed deep, fervent prayer before God the Father as that final test came. If the Son of God needs that, why would we think we don't? Why would we think that we could do better on our own? than the Son of God did while he was here on earth. If he needed to get up every morning, if he needed to retire to lonely places, to solitary places and seek out God's heart, why would we think that's unimportant to us? It's something we could just put off until later and allow all the other busyness of life to take its place. Let's try just a little test run here. 60 seconds of silence. Nobody say or do anything or move. Here we go. That seemed like a long time, didn't it? 60 seconds of silence. Was it scary? <laughs> oh no, I've got to think. Oh no, I have to, I have to process. I have to step back from the distractions and the noise. What could, could you do with even a few minutes of that every day? What could you do with that if you just stopped and said to God, speak to my heart. God, I'm going to look into your word. I'm going to pray. I'm going to look for your revelation, something I need to know. And then you got really quiet before him and you listened. You listened not only with your ears, but with your heart, with your soul. What could happen? It's amazing. Really amazing. And that's where the great people of the faith of the past have learned God speaks in the silence. God speaks through the still, small voice. Prosper introduced us to Elijah. If you hadn't heard Elijah's story before, Elijah was a great prophet of God. He took on the prophets of Baal that had been uh, forced upon Israel by King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. You know, Queen Jezebel is mostly responsible for this. She's a very wicked person. And she had led the whole nation into sin. 
And so this contest was held on Mount Carmel. Maybe you remember that story from 1 Kings. It talks about them building two altars up there. And he says, you build your altar to Baal, I'll build my altar to God. And we'll call down fire from heaven. Whichever God answers, he'll be the God. So he lets them go first. It's only the nice, polite thing to do. So 850 prophets of Baal are out there wailing and calling on their God, a false God, to light the wood of their altar. Of course, nothing happens all day long. They're cutting themselves with knives or trying to get his attention. He can't hear because he is not an existing God. He doesn't exist. And Elijah's just sitting over there kind of tapping his toe like, okay, give you a little more time, a little more time. Goes through the whole day. So then he finishes up his altar. It's got to be repaired because it's already come into ruin. Fixes it all up. And he says, just to make sure you get the point, bring some water and pour it on it. And he keeps dousing the wood. Makes it as wood as wet as he possibly can. He builds a, like a moat around it. Fills it with water. This thing is saturated. And in one simple prayer, he calls for the God to appear, to show who the true God is, to light the wood of that altar. And God does immediately. Burns up everything. Laps the water right out of that little moat, you know. And everybody says, okay, we get it. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And so that day a great victory is won for God. And those prophets all died as a result of God's judgment upon them. Well, Jezebel says to Elijah, because you've killed all my prophets, if you live another day, it'll be over my dead body, and I'm going to kill you. And so he has to run from her. We're going to turn to 1 Kings for just a moment because I want you to see what happens to this strong man of God. In 1 Kings 19, Elijah runs from Jezebel. And he is running and running from her, fearful for his life. He gets to the first stopping point. He's exhausted. He's out of food. He's out of energy. God has to restore him. And he feeds him a couple of meals there. And in the strength of those meals, it says he went for another 40 days and 40 nights all the way to the south end of the, of the land, to Mount Horeb. And there he goes to meet with God. And in verse 9, it says, Then he went into a cave, and he spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Imagine God asked that question of us when we get silent before him. What are you doing? What are you doing here, Christian? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Pretty much the same thing he said before. God knew that. And the Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Hazael, king of Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king of Israel. In other words, put a new king in place. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah to succeed you as prophet. Your, your work's about done here. 
put somebody in place. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. And yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. There are other believers, Elijah. I have some things to say to you if you will get quiet before me. Elijah experienced God in many ways. But none of them was more amazing than this experience on the mountainside at Horeb. The winds blew, the mountains shook, the fires raged, and Elijah felt himself turn pale. But God wasn't in any of those things. God was in that still, small whisper. And when Elijah quieted himself before the Lord, then he heard God speak. Why do we need that? <laughs> well, we got to get a break from all this busyness, all these distractions, all the noise. We need time to regroup, time to, to recharge, to get alone with God and, and to focus all of our attention on Him. Not distracted by anyone or anything else. It's, it's critical. It's absolutely necessary. Solitude gives us a chance to hear that still small voice of God and the voice that only whispers, doesn't shout, it gives us a chance to learn from God himself what he wants us to do in our lives. You may be very surprised to learn how much you can learn in time alone with God. Better than time alone with your best friend or your spouse or anyone else. Because God has more to say. Better things to say. You can learn a lot in the silence. There was a church member that had stopped going to church. He used to go all the time. And all of a sudden he's conspicuously absent. You know, about five weeks are going by and He's not there. He's always there. But for some reason, he's not. So the preacher decides to pay him a visit. He got over to the man's house, and the man was just sitting at home alone in front of a blazing fire there in the fireplace of the family room. And So he invited him in. preacher came in, took off his coat, just sat down in front of the fire, watched the fire. Nothing's being said. man's waiting for the preacher to say why he's there and what it's about. He's not saying anything. man's not saying anything. Just... Very quiet. All of a sudden, the preacher got up from his chair and he went over to the fireplace and he took out the tongs and he took this live hot coal, lifted it out of the fire and put it on the hearth by itself. And he sat back down. Well, that coal started smoking, you know, like it would do. And it started growing colder and pretty soon it's dead. Still, nobody's talking. Preacher finally got up again, picked up that ember that had gone cold with the tongs, put it back in the heat of the fire, and immediately it blazed again. And it became what it was supposed to be, burning brightly like the rest of the fire. Still said nothing. Put on his coat and started to leave. And the man said, glad you came, preacher. Thank you for that fiery sermon. I'll be at church next week. He <laughs> <laughs> got the point. Silence can teach us a lot. And God uses the silence to preach to us when we need it. My personal practice of silence and solitude is to get alone with God first thing in the morning. just want you to know that. It's not that I do anything special during that time except just seek God. Pray, read, um, ask God to speak to my heart. Uh, pray for individuals, pray for ministries, different things that go on from day to day depending on the day of the week. But my practice is to do that the first thing every morning. Now, I'm thankful that I get up before anybody else in my household. If we have company over, I'm just an early riser. That helps. But you may say, I can't do that. 
You don't have to get up and be on the road at 4.30 like I do. Well, I don't. I can do this at 5.30 and until 6 or 6.30, I'm okay. Nobody else is stirring usually. Not a lot of the noise going on. And even with the grandkids come, two of the granddaughters have now learned that Poppy's going to be there. And they somehow wake up on that morning. They sneak down there and crawl in my lap. They won't be there for that time. But this is the practice. This is the daily routine to set the tone for the day, to set the agenda for the day. And if you say, I can't do that, then what you have to do is go to bed a little bit earlier and get up that time earlier so that you can do what you have to do. Because this is more important than anything that happens in your day. Anything else you have going on is subservient to this. The priority is time alone with God. Solitude. Silence. Listening to God. Letting God speak to your heart and show you His way. Third question. How can we create this? How can we do this? And you may think it's impossible. I'll never find time for this. There's too much going on. Too many kids are asking for my attention. Too many things have to happen. I never have time to myself. C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, said, God designed the human machine to run on himself, on on God. God himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn, or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. And he says that is why it's just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about religion. God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it's not there. There is no such thing, Lewis says. God is the source of life. God is the sustainer of life. If you want life, you have to know God. And if you want to know God, you've got to get silent before him and ask him to speak to your heart. If you want peace and security, get alone with God. If you want strength and courage, get alone with God. If you want guidance and confidence in what you are doing, then get alone with God. So we have to deliberately carve out time to be alone with God. Don't let anything interfere with it. Turn off the TV. Turn off the radio. Turn off the internet. Find some peace and quiet to be with God. Have a special chair. Have a special room so that people know at a certain time you're devoted to this. Make it known so they leave you alone. Put a sign on the door if you have to. Use your time alone to reflect, to think, and to pray, to talk to God and to listen for his response. Susanna Wesley, some of you know her story. She's the wife of John Wesley who had a mixed bag of things. He was a great preacher. He preached all over Scotland, England, and thousands of people came to Christ by his preaching, but he was also a person that was this emotional wreck. And he would he would have despairing, discouraging, distressing thoughts, and he would check out. He, he would be unavailable to be her husband or the father of their 19 children. And she was on her own most of the time. 19 children. He one time left her for a year. She didn't even know where he was. That's her life. You think you have problems? You think you have time demands? Susanna Wesley, what did she do? She had no quiet place. She had no place to get away from those 19 children. And she found a routine that worked. She would sit down in the kitchen chair. She would pull her apron up over her head. And her kids had been told, you leave mom alone. <laughs> when she puts the apron over her head, She's alone with God. Leave her alone. 
And she could spend time every day in the midst of the chaos listening to God and learning from God. You can do it. You can find a place. No one else can live your faith for you. Don't try and you know hold on to the coattails of somebody else's faith. Well, my wife's the religious one of the family. I don't buy that, guys. You are the religious one of the family. You are the Christian. You are the leader. God has chosen you to do that. You need to take uh, to take the, the gospel seriously and man up to this. You need to say, I need quiet time with God. I need silence and solitude. I'm going to make this happen. You ladies, don't defer to somebody else because you're responsible for your own faith too. You teenagers and younger children, we are each responsible for our own faith. No one can live our faith for us. And our faith is only real when we make a personal investment in God. Stories told of a shepherd who was there on the first night Jesus is born. Bethlehem, the hills of Bethlehem. Story was told by him when he got older. And one night he's sitting out there on the hillside with a sheep and now his grandson is sitting on his knee and he's telling him about the night the angels came. He said a long, long time ago when I was little more than a boy I was out on the Judean hills one night with some other shepherds keeping watch over the flock and an angel of God came and the glory of the Lord shone around us and we were very afraid but the angel said Fear not, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. You shall find a baby in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And when he said this, the old man's lips began to quiver. And there was silence. And so his grandson said, What, what then? What happened? Was it true? You know, was it true what the angel said? Was, was it really true what they said that happened and the old shepherd just had to sadly shake his head and answered you know I never knew for sure some people thought it was true but I never went to see I never went to find out for myself I don't know your spiritual growth depends on you depends on you getting alone with God you can't say, well, I'll just listen to the preacher every week. I'll go to a Bible study. I'll let my wife or my husband be the strong Christian of the family. I'll watch with joy that my kids are learning about the Lord and never get personally involved. Experiencing God is very personal. It is individual, and it requires getting one-on-one -on -one with God himself. Moses had a burning bush, didn't he? And Jacob had a ladder going up to heaven. And Isaiah saw God seated high and mighty on his throne. And the Apostle John saw the Son of God walking among the seven golden lampstands of heaven. Why would we be content just to hear the stories of others? When God has a story for us to live. And God has a message to give to each of us to enable, to empower us, to equip us. To live in a way that sheds light on Jesus Christ. To live in a way that is so different than the world around us. A world that is not, a, a world that is not distracted in our own personal lives where, where we're just thinking constantly what others are, are forcing on us and, and the messages that are so false and untrue. 
but a life that is dedicated to Christ, devoted to the Word of God, devoted to anything that Jesus lived for. Why would we be content to listen to other stories when there's a story for you and me? A story that can be found when we sit alone with God and we listen with our hearts and our souls. You will never grow deeper and stronger in the Lord until you make silence and solitude a priority. That's a fact. If you want to think you're going to grow deeper by coming to church once a week, you're fooling yourself. If you want to think that you're going to grow deeper because when somebody tells you to read the Bible, you do, you're fooling yourself. The only way you're going to grow deeper is to experience God at the solitude and silence that you deliberately carve out in your life day after day after day, and week after week after week, year after year after year. And through that, God will bring growth to your life. And God will bring power to your life. So get out your Bible. Get a notebook and pen. Get it quiet. And meet with God day after day. You will be amazed at the difference He's going to make in your life. Let's pray. Father, I ask you for your uh, influence in our lives. I know you don't force yourself. I know you don't make us obey you. We're grateful for that, but sometimes that means that we just drift. We don't get serious about these things. And I pray that you would be on our hearts today, that we would make that firm decision, that if we have not yet carved out that time with you, that we will begin doing that this very day. We don't even wait till tomorrow. Lord, help us to do that today. Find a time this afternoon to sit alone with you. Find a time again tomorrow, maybe first thing in the day, to set the tone, set the agenda for the day, knowing that it is set by you, not by our own hearts. So we get ready tomorrow to go to work or to school, or to other activities. May our hearts first be devoted to you so that you can receive the glory from whatever happens. We ask for your blessing upon us as we learn to experience you in a deeper, more profound way. Help us to not resist. Help us not to put off things or to be distracted by things. And help us to focus our hearts on you first, Lord. There's the beginning point. Silence and solitude before you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing a song that talks about our hunger for God. We just invite you to sing with us. If you have any decision to share today, uh, you just come up here and be seated while we're singing. We'll talk with you after the service today. Uh, but now this is a time just to acknowledge how hungry we are for God. I hope that hunger is burning in your heart today. Let's stand and sing. Thank you. <clears throat>